book of Genesis should be pretty easy to find. It's the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. <clears throat> We're going to look at some verses here. I know this is a familiar text. I understand that completely. But I think, there's an, I think there's some good answers to a hard question right here in this text. And my Lord and Lord willing, we'll be able to look at it today. Genesis chapter number 3. <clears throat> and if you're there, would you just say amen? amen. All right. If you'll just look this way. Uh, and if you've been with us for the past several Sundays, mornings, you're going to remember that we have been in a series of messages that I have entitled Hard Questions with Bible Answers. Can I ask you a question? Don't have, you don't have to answer it out loud, but just think. Where do you turn in your life when you face difficult questions in your life? Do you turn to friends? Do you turn to family? Do you turn to society? To your own intuition? Where do you go when you have a hard question? Can I just say that the child of God is meant to look to the Bible for the questions that life brings. It is to be the foundation of and the guide for our life. You and I are not meant to be people who parse the Bible to make it say what we want it to say. And we're not to be people who piece out the Bible to only obey the things of the Bible that we like. We are to read, meditate upon, and obey what the Bible says. And I firmly believe that the Bible is where God has the answers for life's hardest questions. You and I have I've asked and answered several questions so far in this series. We've asked questions like, is there a really a place called hell? Now, modern society and modern thinking would have you believe that hell is nothing more than some fictional idea, some place where, where Hollywood entertainers and video game designers have created nothing more than a spectacle of a place for people to find entertainment in life. It's nothing more than a, than a moral story to, to, for, for, to, for parents to try to teach their children how to do right. But a friend, let me remind you, the Bible is very clear that right now in this moment below our feet, feet is a place called hell. And where those who reject God will spend eternity in the, fi in, 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 in the torments of hell. We've asked questions like, why do Christians have to face trials? We've asked questions like, if God is so loving, why do bad things happen? Last week we asked the question, why does God seem silent in our life sometimes? And we learned that silence is meant not only for, uh, it's, 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 silence, can, silence can happen from God for, for the life of the Christian because of sin. You know, when you and I sin, we, we don't break our relationship. The child of God cannot lose their salvation, but we can lose our fellowship. And sometimes God is silent in our life because of our sin. But sometimes God is silent in our life because of for our sanctification as well. That He can use the silent times of our life to prove, to prove His faithfulness and His, and, His, and His trustworthiness even in those times. You know, today I'm going to ask a question, and this may be my last one. I've got another one that the Lord, the Lord will let me preach it next week. But this is, to me, is probably one of the toughest questions that, that, I, that, that as a Christian that I, that I have asked. And I've heard many people ask as well as, as a Christian. And that is this. Why do so many people reject God? Why do so many people reject God? You see, because for someone who has met God and has seen His life-changing power, this question is one that I am confident that we have pondered. For those of us who have, as the psalmist said, tasted and seen that the Lord, He is good, 
I am confident that they look to those who have yet to come to God and wonder, why? Why? You know, I, I, today I can't help but think about in this, as I was preparing this message, my mind it drifted into this place, and I wondered if there would be someone in this room today who has yet to meet God in a personal relationship. And to be honest with you, the question that my heart ponders in that moment is simply, why? Why tarry? Why wait? You know, God has given to you and I many ways for us to know Him. Can I just share them with you real quick? And I'm going to try to be quick about this. I've got, a, I've got a pretty lengthy introduction and a pretty short sermon. So let me just introduce. God has given to you and I many ways in which you and I can know Him. First of all, He's given to you and I His Word. He's given you and I His Word. If you and I were to back up to the very first verse of our Bible, you could go two chapters back Right there, the very first verse of our Bible. It simply just says this, Genesis 1, 1. I bet most of you know this by heart. It just says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that moment, God introduces Himself to you and I. Have you ever thought for a moment that how interesting it is that God never spent any time trying to convince you and I that He exists? He simply just says, Here I am. I exist. You know, you and I have people today who, who make a living writing and speaking, trying to convince others of the existence of God. They call themselves apologists. And I have nothing necessarily against any, any of that, but I do find it interesting to note that God never, never attempts to do that for himself. He simply just, just, just states to, to his creation, his existence in this world. You know, of all the wonderful truths that the Bible carries for God's children, the Bible also serves as an introduction to the creation to introduce the Creator to His creation. And it was God who authored this Bible to you and I. Well, I think about over there in the book of Exodus, and you probably remember this, where Moses is standing before that burning bush, and there God, as inside that burning bush, is instructing Moses to go back to Egypt and demand the freedom of God's people from Pharaoh. And Moses asks him over, asks him over there in Exodus chapter three, verse thirteen, "Who, who am I going to tell them that sent me? I mean, can, who, who can I say it is that sent me?" And I like, I like the response. God doesn't give Moses a hundred-page doctrinal dissertation. Uh, he doesn't give Moses a 15-point outline of debate topics and rebuttal answers. He simply tells Moses that when you get to Egypt, look at him and say, I am sent you. God, through his word, constantly reintroduces and reveals himself. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you and I are introduced to the nature of God, to the character of God, to the person of God, and to the power of God. We learn about God through his word. But can I tell you something else? You and I also learn about God through His world as well. Yeah. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 19:1? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. What we learn is that you and I, as we view the world we live in, when we study it, we can't help but realize that there is an intelligent designer behind the world that you and I live in. 
Now I understand that the culture of our day pushes a theory like it's a fact. They that's just the great theory of evolution. That you and I are nothing more than mere accidents that defy even the very laws of science that they, they propagate. That over a period and process of millions and millions of years, uh, all we see and all we don't see merely came to be simply by some accident in life. But can I tell you something? The Bible, the Bible is a very interesting book to me. It's a wonderful book. But the Bible even tells you and I that it is only human beings, only mankind that debates the creation of this world. I like what it says over there in Job, Job chapter 12, 12 these verses in 7 through 10, it says this. But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. And the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Can I tell you, it's only, it's only God's greatest creation, the creation He made in His own image that would like to stand up and debate who was the creator of all these things. But friend, I, you know, the great passion, can I, can I just tell you something? The great passion of the evolutionist is not to explain a creation of the world, but to explain the creation of the world in which, in which there is no creator. Because if there is a creator, it creates accountability to that creator. But can I just say something? There is no reasoning that will stand or explain away God from His creation. Even over in Romans 1.20, here's what Paul said. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There will come a day when you and I will stand before God. And whether we, whether we believe in this theory of evolution, whether we believe, it, it, none of that's going to stand before God and, and be an excuse as to why we rejected the great gift of salvation. This world declares that there is a creator. This world declares that there is a God. Friend, tell me how you can stand on a mountaintop and look over the, over the vastness of the sea of mountains and tell me how that was some mere accident. Tell me how you can stand on the seashore and look out on the great depth of the ocean and tell me that there's no creator. Tell me how you can look at the complexity of a body and tell me that of all the great, the great intricacies and the great, the great things they had to make the body function and operate in its, in its intricate way, tell me how there was no intelligent designer, friend. You can't because all of nature, all of creation, all the things we see, all the things we don't see point to the fact that we have been created by God. Our word, the, the word introduces us to God. His world introduces us to God. But can I tell you something? There's one more thing. His witness introduces us to God as well. You know, I... I... I <laughs> Men may debate and argue the Word of God, and they do. Men may debate and argue the world of God, and they do. Yet the one thing that men cannot debate and argue is our witness, is the witness of God, or us. Now when you and I as God's children understand the truth of our responsibility as His witness, that should sober us as Christians and cause you and I to walk differently in this world. When I understand the importance of being a witness for God, it will change everything about the way I live. 
You know, I know, listen, I know it's not popular preaching, but can I tell you something? I don't, I don't care if I'm popular, to be frank with you. Uh, it's not popular preaching in this day and age to remind God's people that their relationship with God should change things both internally and externally in their life. You know, we've come to a day and age where we, where we as God's people, we like a comfortable Christianity that lets us enjoy our relationship with God with no responsibility to the call that God has placed upon our life. Yet you and I have to understand that we are, we are not our own. The Bible calls you and I ambassadors for God. That you and I are called to be a witness for God in this land. And when I truly understand that my role in this world is to be a witness for God, it's going to change an awful lot of stuff in my life. Can I tell you something? It's going to change the way, of, it's going to change the things that I say in my life. Because my words are not really my words. My words are meant to be a witness for the God that saved me. And my words are meant to show a lost and dying world that yes, there is a God. And yes, He, he is in His Word. And yes, He created this world. But He changed my life as well. And so all of my words should be measured by the fact that I'm a witness for God. It will, it, will, it will change the words that I say. Can I tell you something? It will change the places that I go. Because when I go places now, I'm not just going to places to entertain myself. I'm not just going to fascinate myself and make my life more pleasurable. I'm not against those certain things. But I will tell you this, when I understand that where I go, I am going as an ambassador and a representative of the God who saved me, it's going to change some places that I go in this world. Hey, I won't step into the hell hole in the dens of this world. I won't find myself, I won't find myself constantly around the things that, that, that stand against the God who saved me. I won't find myself constantly living, living around the pits of sin because I don't want my life to be, to be hurt by the witness that I'm supposed to be. It will change the places that I go because I'm a witness for Him. Can I say this? It'll change the things I wear. Because I'm going to tell you something. What I wear, I was reading this the other day. I, I, I don't know why. I'm fascinated with stuff like this. So I just, I just searched it out. And I, and I searched that if there were dress code requirements for ambassadors from, from the United States to other countries. And can I tell you something? Yes, pages upon pages of requirements. Now listen, friend, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, I'm, I, 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 think, I think the greatest thing you and I could always do is always first and foremost submit our life to the Holy Spirit and let our life be transformed and moved by Him. But I will tell you this, that when I understand as a child of God that when I walk out the door, that what I'm wearing is a representation of the Savior that I, that I have, it ought to change some things about what I wear. I don't, I'm not to live my life to call attention to myself. I'm to live my life to call attention to Him. I'm not, I'm, I don't live my life to, to, to constantly to, to, make, to, to make sure that, uh, that, that I live in all the greatest fashions and all the things of this world. My whole goal in life is to be a witness for Him, not for me. What did John say? He must increase, but the only way He increases is when I decrease. You see, when I understand my role as a witness, it ought to, it'll change the things I say. It'll change where I go. It'll change what I wear. But let me just say this, it'll also change who I associate with. Can I just be honest with you? You know, that, 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 I mean, 
I, I used to be a youth pastor for a long time, and we, are, we as adults, we love to bust on teenagers all the time, and we tell teenagers this constantly. Who you are now is who you will soon be like. Those you spend time with is those people you're going to be just like. And I agree with that. Hey, listen, I'm a, I got a, I got a, I'm a parent with two kids, and man, we, we are constantly, constantly trying to make sure that they, they, they spend time with the right people and godly people and people who aren't going to bring them down, but people who are going to build them up. But hear me, that, that rule of life is not just good for the teenager, friend. That rule of life is good for each and every one of us. You and I, if we're God's people, and I understand that as God's person, people, I'm a witness for him, it's going to change the people I associate my life with because I don't want to do anything to ever more the name of my Savior. It's going to change me when I understand the role that I have as a witness. You see, because God is introduced to this world through his word, through his world, but through his witness as well. But yet, in this day and age, with his word, with his world, and with his witness, there are so many people who still reject God. And I wonder why. I wonder why. You know, that leads me to our text today, right here in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to move fast. I'm aware of the time. But in this in this. In Genesis chapter 3, I see some answers to this hard question. Why would somebody make a choice to reject God? And we're introduced to the very first, uh, the very first uh, people created in, in this world and the, really the very first rejection of the truth of God in this world as well. In Genesis chapter 3. Let's read these verses. Here's what it says. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the, free of the, but the fruit of the tree which God is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave it also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. We're going to stop there. Let me just pray. I haven't prayed yet. Let me pray and we'll get started. Lord, I love you. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us now. God, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody in this room, Lord, who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, my, my, I would pray to the best I know how, speak to their hearts, convict them, Lord, help them to be saved, I pray. Lord, for those of us here who are saved, God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to realize our responsibility as witnesses and to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name. Why do people reject God? With all that God has given His people, why do they reject Him? With all that God has given His creation, with His Word, this world, His witness, why do people reject God? Well, I think there are three answers I find for you right here. and I, Well, two here and one I'll share with you in another place. And I think there's three things I can tell you about why people would still choose to reject God. And here's what they are. First of all, I think because of doubt. They choose to reject God. Now you and I are introduced right here in chapter three to to to, to well to three 
three people. There's a lady whose name is Eve and a man whose name is Adam and a serpent who is the devil. And we know Genesis to be the, to be the story of creation, how God created the whole world in a period of six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And then he created man in his own image on that sixth day and placed him in a place in, in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was a perfect environment. It had no sin. It had no heartache. It had no sorrow. It had no sickness. It was a perfect environment. And God put Adam there. And God had instructed Adam that he was the, he was the ruler over, his cre- over, over that creation. And he got Adam walked with God in the, in the cool of the day. And Adam, and, and Adam was instructed by God everything to do, including the fact that in that garden there was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam could have, have partaken everything in that garden and enjoyed everything in that garden except for that one tree. Well, Adam, God, God made Adam a help meet from the side of uh, the, from, 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 from his rib. And they called his, God made Adam a help meet from the side of his rib. Her name was Eve. And God, again, God placed both of them in, the, in that garden. And for a time, everything was going great. Until one day, the devil comes along and begins to speak to Eve. And he began to place doubt upon God's word and God's promises to Eve. That's what happened when there in these verses that we have right here. I hesitate to use the word story because when I use the word story, we almost want to think of it as some fictional account, some Aesop's fable idea. But let me be honest with you. This is a historical account of how sin entered into the world. And I want you to understand that. So here, so here Eve is, and she's in the garden one day, and the serpent, the devil, comes along, and he begins to speak to Eve about that tree. Look at, look at verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree, every tree of the garden. And Eve's response in verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the, uh, the trees of the garden, but of the, of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And then in verse 4, the serpent says, Ye shall not surely die. He casts doubt into the truth of what God has said. Can I tell you, one of the great reasons why people choose to reject God in this day is they have a lot of doubt in, about what God promises He can do. They think to themselves, well, uh, they, 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 they want to say, well, I, I, I doubt that I really am a sinner because I do well, I do good, I, I try my best, I'm a good father, I'm a good husband, I, I'm a good employee, I, I give to charity, and I do right, and I try to be morally upstanding, and I doubt that really I'm bad enough to go to hell. That's why, you know, when you talk to people and you say, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? If you were to die today, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? And their response a lot of times is this, well, I hope so, or I think so. I'll tell you what that is. That's the doubt that creeps up in their life because they doubt that they've ever really done anything worth dying and going to hell for. But friend, can I just bring it right back to the truth of the Word of God? I want you to understand something. Hey, the Bible doesn't. The Bible says that, that, that every one of us have this great common denominator in life, and that's the fact that we all have sinned, and we all have done wrong, and because of our sin, listen, it, 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 it doesn't matter if you sin one time in your life or you have a long list of sins that would reach all the way down this room and out the street. Hey, none of that matters. The very fact that we have all sinned at once time makes us sinners. Hey, if I, were to, if I were to go down the store today and I were to go walk into, into the grocery store today and I were to take one item, that, that one item I've stole makes me a thief. 
Hey, if I were to walk down the street today and pull a gun and shoot one person, that one, that one killing makes me a murderer. That one, that one false truth makes me a liar. It doesn't know all I'm trying to say is this. We, we, want to, we want to cast doubt on the truth of God's word, and we want to say, no, I'm morally upstanding. No, I try to do my best. I try to do right. How in the world could a loving God send somebody like me to hell? I'm trying to do right. Well, friend, let me hear you. I want to bring you to the truth of God's word. Don't doubt it. The fact of the matter is, is that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The truth of the matter is, is that we've all messed up. We've all failed. We've all done wrong. And yet the devil would cast doubt and say, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that wrong. And we doubt. We doubt our need for a Savior. We doubt our need for a Savior. But can I tell you something? The other, the other great lie the devil would cast upon you and I is that he, he, he makes us doubt that we ever, that we're even worth that salvation. Oh, friend, can I tell you something? One of my favorite quotes is by a man named J. Vernon McGee. And he said this, he said, If you knew me before I got saved, you wouldn't want to come hear me preach. Then he said this, but if I knew you before you got saved, I probably wouldn't want you to come hear me preach. <clears throat> because can I tell you something? One of the great doubts in life that was supposed to put on you and I is to say, we're not worthy of that salvation. Boy, if they knew who you really were, you think they'd want you here? If they knew what you really done, you think they'd want you here? And friend, that great doubt that creeps up, that we're not even worthy. Can I tell you something, friend? Listen to me. Not one person in this room is worthy of salvation. Not one person. Hey, I don't care. Hey, I don't care if you if you come from if you come from 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 old money and you've got millions of dollars in the bank. I don't care if you've done everything right in your life. You try to do your best. We're not worthy of salvation. I'm not worthy of a holy God to look down on me and pull me up out of the muck and mire of my sin. I'm not worthy of his his I'm not worthy of his sacrifice at Calvary where he would take my sin on himself and pay for my sin debt. I'm not worthy of that. Hey, I, it doesn't matter if you if you if you are if 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 you think if, if people think you're the toast of the town and you're the very best of what this town has to offer or if you if you're from so far across the tracks that you can't even see the train tracks from where you're from and you got a long list of wrongs and a long list of a, a long list of things that 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 they that have gone wrong. Hey, we all Need a Savior. None of us are worthy of a Savior. Don't listen to the lie that the devil would put on, your say, put on you to say, hey, you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. And yet God looks at you and I who are not worthy. And he says, you could come to me. Hey, come to, come, come to, come to Calvary. I paid, I paid the price. I, I'm, I paid the sin debt. I, 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 I paid for you. I love you. I came to this earth to die for you. You can come to me. I'll save you. Although you're not worthy, I'm worthy. I'm the only one who was worthy. I Calvary, I paid the price. And you can come to me, and in my, in my grace, I'll save you. And that doubt, that doubt of, of even if we need a Savior, and that doubt of whether we even deserve a Savior, and people reject God because of their doubt. Why, friend? How about you, friend? How about you? Are you here today? And you know all you know. There's something missing in your life. You know that you need Jesus. 
but yet you reject him. Why? Is it your doubt? Can I just say something? Not only do people reject God because of their doubt, they reject God because of their desires as well. Look at the, look over, read these verses down through here. <clears throat> look what happens. The devil, he convinces Eve, oh, that fruit, it, it, it will not. It, you eat that fruit. I know what God said, but God did not really mean what he said. And she looked at the fruit. Look what it says about this. Verse number 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit. Can I tell you why people reject God? It's because of their doubt. It's because of their desires as well. Eve wanted the fruit. She looked at the fruit, and she said, Oh, man, that fruit looks inviting. That fruit would fulfill a longing in my soul. That fruit can provide for me a happiness that I have not felt. And she took the fruit. The promise was that that fruit would give her everything she wanted. And yet when she bit into the fruit and disobeyed God, the fruit could not satisfy the desire she had. Now, friend, hear me. We live in a day and age... Unlike, we live in unprecedented times. We are surrounded by constant pulls at desire. We, we, we are constantly being told that, that the great goal of the life of, of, of society is to go where you want, do what you want, be with who you want, say what you want, drink what you want, take, take whatever pill you want, smoke whatever drug you want. I mean, we're constantly saying, just do what you want. Hey, have fun. If you'll just take this, take this pill. Oh, if you take this pill, I promise you, you'll never feel like you've ever felt before. Oh, hey, drink this booze. Hey, you can drink this booze. I promise you, it'll make you feel like you've never felt before. Oh, take, hey, smoke this and do this. Be with this person. Have this illicit relationship over here. Go here, be here, do whatever, because it will just fulfill that long it in your heart and we eat the fruit with the hope that it will constantly fulfill the desire of our heart only to find that at the end of the fruit is nothing but heartache and sorrow and pain because the promise can never be fulfilled in all the desires of the world and people reject God day after day after day because the world promises that it, that it can fulfill the desires and yet the world can never satisfy the only one who can satisfy the deep longing desire of the heart is Jesus and him alone. Oh, friend, I like that prodigal son. Oh, that prodigal son who grew up in the father's house, had everything the father could have ever want. I mean, lived with the father, enjoyed the presence of the father, got to be around the father day by day, and yet the world called to him. And he said, I think I'm going to go out in the world. And he looked at his father. Oh, and when you understand what he said to his father, he said, Daddy, I wish you were dead. But Daddy says, you're not dead. Just give me my inheritance, and I'm going to go out. Because he was so sure that the world could satisfy that longing desire in his heart. But you know what happened? He got out there. Oh, and for a time, it was fun, Miss Beth. Oh, for a time, he sat there, and he enjoyed. 
enjoyed the parties and he enjoyed the women and he enjoyed the wine and he enjoyed all the world had to offer. But at the end of it all, when the world couldn't satisfy and the money ran out, he found himself in nothing but a hog pen with his friends abandoning him and he didn't have enough money to buy food and he had to live off the slop they were feeding the hogs. But it hit his mind one day and he said, you know what? Boy, at my father's house, even his servants, he better than this and live better than this. And he said, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll just go home and meet with my father. I think I'll just head back home. And when he got home, the father took care of him. Because friend, let me tell you something. I don't care what promise this world makes to you. I don't care what thing you think is going to satisfy. Your career won't satisfy. The promotions won't satisfy. The drink won't satisfy. The drugs won't satisfy. None of that satisfies. All it's going to find at the end of the day is that you've worked so hard and you've done so much and it never paid off. Because only Jesus satisfies. But people reject. They reject God because of their doubt. They reject God because of their desires. Friend, what about you? Are you here today and you know, you know that you're not saved? You know that you're not going to heaven? Because you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Why are you rejecting him? Is it your doubt? Friend, my Savior can fulfill, can, can defeat all doubt. Is it your desires? Friend, my Savior can fulfill all your desires. But can I tell you what one of the greatest lies that causes people to reject God? It's the doubt, it's the, it's the desires. But it's also the delay. The great reason why people reject Christ is the delay. You'll have to forgive me. I'm going I'm to take, a, I'm gonna take a, a trip to the New Testament, to Acts 24. And over in Acts 24, you'll find Paul. And Paul was standing before <clears throat> a man whose name was Felix. And Paul had been arrested because Paul had been preaching the gospel. And he, and he stood before a man named Felix. And Paul, man, I like Paul. Paul didn't stand before him and beg for his life. And Paul didn't stand before him and say, hey, I'm sorry about that. I won't do it again. Paul just stood before people in, bar, in chains and said, let me tell you about my Savior. And let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. And you can arrest me. You can beat me. You can throw me in jail if you want to. But I'm just going to tell you about my Savior. And I like what happens. <clears throat> Paul stands before Felix and uh, when Drusilla and in, 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 in verse 24 of Acts 24, just says this. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent forth Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And something happened to old Felix. He, he got what, what we call, we like to call it that old-time Holy Ghost conviction. <clears throat> verse 25, and he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And it says this, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way. For this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Can I tell you something? I have heard people in my, in my life, I have seen people in my life who have heard the gospel preached to them. Hey, they know they're a sinner. They know they need a Savior. They know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They know. They know that, 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 that the only way they can find true peace, the only way they can find true, true satisfaction in their life is to come to Jesus. They know it, and yet their hearts may tremble. I've seen people hold on to the back of pews and their hands turn white, their knuckles turn white as they realize this deep, this deep conviction in 
their heart, realizing that they're sinners and they need a Savior, and yet they reason in themselves and they say this, not today. Not today. Give me another day. That's what Felix did. He said, Paul, I'm trembling. I know you're right. I know I need a Savior. But Paul, you go away and when it's convenient for me, then I'll call on you to come back. Friend, that's the great lie of the delay. The devil will convince you and I that there is time and still yet. That yes, we need a Savior. Yes, God is that Savior. He sent His Son, Son Jesus to die on the cross for you and I so that you and I can come to Him and through Him be saved. He is the only way. But not today. Not today. And we delay. And in that delay, we reject God. How about you, friend? Why do you reject God? Is it your doubt? Friend, can I just remind you? He can fulfill all doubt. Hey, listen. Even the very best of what we are is nothing more than putrid, filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. We need a Savior. Hey, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter where you've been. That His grace cannot extend to where you are and save you. Don't doubt it, friend. You need a Savior. And it's Jesus. Is it your desires? Have you really convinced yourself that what you want is more important than heaven? That your desires to ensure that, that, that and you found your, you try to find your happiness in some bottle somewhere, some relationship somewhere, some, some unholy, ungodly thing, and that's where you're trying to find your desires in life. Can I tell you something, friend? I can go ahead and tell you the end of that road. It's heartache. It's bitterness. You hear this preacher. I'm not saying that because, I, because that's my opinion. I'm saying it because that's what that Bible says. That there's only pleasure in sin for a season. Your desires. Can I tell you something? Why don't you set your desires aside and realize that Jesus Christ can fulfill every desire of your heart? Boy, what about this last one? Your delay. Is the devil whispering in your ear today and he's saying, hey, okay, he's right. You need a Savior, but just not today. Don't delay. Don't delay. Friend, the only time you're promised is right now. The only time I'm promised is this moment. Don't delay. Come to Jesus. Don't reject God. His bowed and eyes closed.